Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. You've reached uh, Voices of the Cannabis Wars, news from the front line, where we are determined to bring you the news and what's going on right in the front lines of the cannabis war. Um, and that can stem off to all kinds of other different wars, but uh, we're going to focus today on the cannabis war and a little bit about jury nullification and jury rights day. Um, today is going to be a special uh, show for you because we have an amazing guest planned. But first, I want to tell you guys how the show is, came about. Um, the host of the show used to be Eugene Fisher. Eugene Fisher um, spent 35 or 25 years of his life sentence um, in prison for uh, for cannabis. And he got out, and he wanted to help people, so... Um, him and I and Mindy got together after after the after we're done at the Human Solution. We got together and we started the show, and we have a lot of people that help us with this show. In fact, um, it's the show is ran strictly off of volunteers. None of us get paid. We're strict. We're only trying to get the voices out there, and get get everything heard that to be heard. Everybody so that everybody knows what's going on in the war. So. With that said, um, we have a huge show. I want to also thank CCHI 2016 for giving us the platform to be able to give you this show. And all of the volunteers, um, like Becca and Mindy and everybody that calls into the show. And um, Tony, who's here. Hi, Tony. Hi, everyone. Um, she's, she's one of our voices of the Cannabis War. She helps us get letters signed for our prisoners and everything. And she is... Um, here today with me and Mindy, who is hosting the show. We're going to bring her on in just a couple seconds because we're short um, uh, screeners. So, in fact, if anybody listening to the show would like to help us screen on Sunday mornings, please contact us on Facebook. You can contact Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N-F-L-O-R, or Mindy, and her last name is Hunt on Facebook, H-U-N-T. Um, so today is going to be a really, really good show because we're going to be talking about a topic that is extremely important, not only to the cannabis community, but to the drug war, to homeless people, to people who are immigrating, who get um, coming up from other countries, a lot of people who go to jail for basically victimless crimes. So that's what the topic is today, because every every couple days, or every every month on the fifth, uh, there's a group called FIJA. That's the Fully Informed Jury Association. They have a day, which is September fifth, where they make sure that they try they do the most outreach and education that they possibly can to make sure the whole country knows about their rights to nullify the law if they're ever called to jury duty. It this is something that the government will not tell you. They will not tell you what your rights are, they will not fully inform you when you're called to jury duty. So when you're sitting there at a trial and you're you're asked to judge whether or not the law was broken, and you know good and damn well they broke the law, I mean, they've got evidence, they got 50 pounds of weed sitting in front of you, and that's clearly against the law, <laughs> but you like feel like, oh, man, why do I have to say guilty? Like, I don't want to send somebody to prison. Well, you don't have to. It's your it's your right as a juror to say not guilty and not only just judge if that person has broke the law, really judge the law. And if it's a bad law, you can refuse to convict and you don't have to say guilty. It's just that simple. So we're going to talk about that today and we're going to talk to um, Kirsten Tynan, who is an executive director 
uh, for the for the uh, for for Fiji. We're going to talk about why Jury Rights Day is so important and what's going on in this country regarding Jury Rights Day. We're going to get everything we need to know from her. After that, we're going to talk to Craig Cecil, who's working on his 15th year of his life sentence. After that, we're going to talk to George Monterano, who spent 33 years of a life sentence in prison. And he's going to talk to us about a little bit about his trial and why he got 33 years and how somebody, one of the jurors, would have said not guilty. He would have got zero years. He would have won. So it's, it's, um, it's really awesome. And then what we're going to do after that is we're going to have open mic for a little bit. We might be hearing from a doctor, a heart surgeon, by the name of Dr. David Allen, who went to trial and won. And we might also hear from Jeff Mazansky, who went to trial and lost. So coming up is some really good stuff. First, I want to uh, bring Mindy in because we have a, she is the other host of the show. And we have a couple things we want to talk to. We're about to bring Kirsten Tynan on in a second. Um, but first, we're going to talk to Mindy. Um, good morning, Mindy. How are you? Good morning, Kristen. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm anxious for today's show. Yeah, this is a good one. Yay. Cool. cool. Um, Mindy, I have Tony here. We're eating um, cinnamon toast. <laughs> morning, Mindy. Oh, I love cinnamon toast. I bet that was made by your mama. <laughs> of course. Good morning, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Cinnamon toast. We've got some news about uh, Paul Free, um, who was applying for something and got denied his appeal, or yeah. his. I don't see what it was here. We've. I've got is. This is just breaking news here. We've got. We've got the um, the motion for a rehearing. We've got his uh, his page pulled up here is website and anybody can go to uh, marijuana lifers project.org a uh, sherry's card runs the site and find out more about paul free but mindy what do you know about what's been going on well what um what i know is is they denied to even look at the evidence um and paul's got a a very um terrible story where he wasn't even anywhere near the location of where this it was a they pointed the finger at the wrong Paul Free. It's, it's just mistaken identity. It's it's all kinds of issues. Um, <laughs> he's been trying to get freedom for two decades, um, and you know he's really asking people to take a minute and go to that website that you mentioned, the Marijuana Lifer Project, and read that article and and write you know how you feel. Not not just a quick oh that's terrible, but you know how you feel about the way this justice has been served and, uh, you know, as best intelligent information as you can. Because the more of us that go on there and discuss how outraged we are, the possibility that someone might see that. And, um, and I think in this case, it's also important just to know that Paul will hear about all those messages and he'll see that. And and that makes a difference in his heart too. So I really encourage okay. people to do that. Well, while I'm looking on here, um, there's some information that says a confusing trial, and I'm going to be putting out an image um, regarding trials and jury nullification later, and I, we're going to include Paul in that image. Um, but I'm going to urge everybody, since tomorrow is Jury Rights Day, to go on there, read about Paul Free, and read about his trial, and read, and you'll think when you're reading about it, well, what if somebody would have just said not guilty? 
It would have just saved all this trauma from going on. So um, pay attention to that. But, Mindy, I hear we have Kirsten Tynan on the phone right now on the line. Exactly. Exactly. At this very second. I think she's, I'm hoping she's there. I am indeed. Okay. Yay. Ah, good morning, Kirsten. How are you? Good. Good morning to everyone. You, you're on the phone with me and Mindy, and I have Tony at my house, and we are all big, huge jury nullification advocates. Um, that's all we talk about. <laughs> and tomorrow's jury rights. I know day. you guys are. You guys are some of the most uh, most passionate advocates. So I definitely appreciate that. <laughs> of course, of course, we we believe in the power. Um, so what is the power, and why is it um, so important that we devote a whole entire day to educating people about that power? So jury nullification just means that jurors look at a case before them and maybe they judge that the, the fa- by the facts the law has technically been broken. But then they judge the law as well and maybe they think that the law is wrong or unjust. Maybe they think it's unjustly applied in the case at hand. Maybe they think that there's an unjust punishment for the severity of the offense. Or maybe they just think there are mitigating circumstances in this unusual circum in, in this unusual case that would not warrant strictly enforcing the law, and so they vote not guilty, even though they know the law has technically been broken. And we celebrate this every year on Jury Rights Day, which strictly speaking falls on the fifth of September, but we usually have people who celebrate it from anywhere a week before to all the way to um, Constitution Day on the 17th, uh, because we want to create more fully informed jurors. Uh, The reason that Jury Rights Day falls on September 5th is that it commemorates a very famous case of jury nullification, the 1670 acquittal of William Penn, That name should be familiar to a lot of Americans because he went on to found what would become the state of Pennsylvania. He was actually a Quaker in England, and um, at the time, it was illegal to preach any religion publicly other than the official state religion, and uh, Quakerism was not that state religion. (laughs) Uh, He was locked out of the Quaker private meeting room purposely by the government who knew that he would, that that would not deter him from preaching it would simply force him to preach in the street which he then proceeded to do and was sit for uh, but his jurors actually refused to convict him now at the time there were a lot of coercive measures undertaken by judges to get juries to deliver the verdict they wanted making them sort of juries in name only but he had several very staunch jurors who would not crack, even though they were imprisoned. They had food and water withheld from them. Um, sanitary facilities were denied them. Tobacco and fire, it was noted in the uh, trial transcript, were denied to them. And they were in prison this way for a few days before the judge finally released them, and uh, they had not changed their verdict. So Penn was found not guilty of that. They were all, including Penn, fined for other things that the judge decided they had done wrong. And um, some of the jurors appealed this punishment for their verdict to a higher court. And that higher court ruled that jurors cannot be punished for their verdict. 
And that is something that is preserved from English common law in the United States legal system still today. Every single one of us has the right to vote our conscience if we believe that the law is wrong or unjust or the punishment is unjust, we can vote not guilty and we cannot be punished for our verdicts. And that is something that we try to um, educate the public about every day of the year, but especially on Jury Rights Day, which is sort of our signature day of action. Well, Kirsten, is there still pressure on juries in the courtrooms today? Yes. You know, you can't be punished for your verdict, but we are seeing more and more jury instructions that are either strongly implying to jurors that they would be doing something wrong and and could be punished for it, or outright stating it. Um, I just mailed seven copies, I think, of uh, Fiji's friend of the court brief in the appeal of Noah Kleinman yesterday to, uh, I think it's the Ninth Circuit Court, so that they can they can review our uh, friend of the court brief strongly as discussing how how bullied the jurors were in that case, um, not only through jury instructions that told them basically if you nullify you'd be breaking the law, um, but also they had a mid-trial process in which um, once the judge and the prosecutor learned that people were holding up signs outside. They freaked out because they knew that's a case in which people might very well consider the law to be wrong. Uh, so they interviewed the jurors mid-trial very in great detail, uh, basically trying to root out anyone who might be considering jury nullification, and um, strongly, you know, planted in their minds, you know, poisoned poisoned the well there basically, planted in their minds the idea that somehow, you know, there's something sketchy about this when, in fact, it's a perfectly legal thing to do and is, you know, a part of our our common law tradition for centuries now. So I've seen in the, you know, in the media a couple cases over the past year or so where people have been charged with um, jury tampering because of, of jury nullification education. How do you keep from, Fiji has some really great standards that they ask us to maintain in order to keep ourselves safe. Can you go over those? Yeah. Um, One thing I should mention is it very commonly gets um, reported that people get arrested and charged for this, but then people don't really report the outcomes of those, which are pretty uniformly in favor of free speech and Fiji's, you know, process. Um, Jury tampering is when you are trying to affect the outcome of a particular case And so an example would be like if you found a juror on your friend's case and said, if you don't vote this way, you might not want to sleep tonight. That would be jury tampering. You're implying to them that they're going to get hurt if they don't do what you want, um, you know, that sort of thing. We do not discuss any case in progress while we're advocating um, for jury nullification, or so I should say educating for jury nullification. All we're doing is telling people, about an option that they have. We're not telling them whether they should use it in a particular case or should not use it. That's up to them and their conscience, and we emphasize that. Our materials don't discuss any current case in progress. Um, We encourage people to go out at a time when there isn't a particularly interesting case to them just to make clear that what they're doing is juror education, uh, general juror education, and not, you know, mix it with advocacy for a particular um, case. Um, but, of course, 
you don't need to actually convict someone to dissuade them from using their First Amendment rights. And courts know this. So they know that just by scaring people, they're going to reduce the number of volunteers who are willing to go out and do that. Uh, they know that if they charge someone, as was the case in uh, Michigan recently, that person had to pay a substantial amount of money for bail that was set egregiously and unjustly high. Uh, he is now paying a lawyer. So they know that they can intimidate people and punish them without ever getting a conviction, and they're using that. Yeah. Well, Kirsten, I have a question for you. So, to, so jury rights day, like, I was looking on there, and there's a lot of different ways you can participate. In fact, I'm, I usually, Mindy and I last year, we went to the Seattle uh, courthouse because there were some trials going on around Washington that we mm-hmm. thought that jury outreach um, would be able to people would be able to know their rights, and so we we did we we participated last year, and, and I participated the year before in Jury Rights Day. And I noticed that this year there's all different types of ways uh, somebody people can participate. Um, was there? Will you tell our listeners a little bit more about how people can participate and spreading yeah, this absolutely. knowledge? Absolutely. Um, I should mention to you guys where you are. Uh, I believe there is a Jury Rights Day event in Olympia this year. I don't. I don't recall. Did you meet James Holden Liber- last year? Um, I met. I yeah. met. Is this the Libertarian Party that's putting it on? Yeah, I think so. Because I, I met them. I think. Yeah, I met them. Yeah, I met them the year before. They were actually. I picked the same exact spot that we picked to do our ours, the Human Solution Run, oh. part of the Human Solution. And I have to work. <laughs> I have to work on Jerry Wright's Day all day. So oh, I'm going to be bummer. participating. Yes, I know, yeah. I know. Trust me, I know. But I'm going to be participating uh, yeah. um, also, online. So, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, so um, I should say uh, we have a lot of events listed. Um, when people have done a Facebook page for their event, I add it to the FIJA Facebook page. So if you go to facebook.com slash FIJA, our initials, uh, FIJA National, that's our official Facebook page. If you click on events, you'll see a big listing of events around the country. Um, I'm also going to be posting, uh, for the first time this year, we have on our website a trial, uh, sorry, a transcript of the famous William Penn trial. Um, and it's, it's hilarious if I do say so myself. <laughs> You've ever seen Parliament, you know, how, how there's these like, you know, back and forth sort of insults caged or couched in this like air of pomp and circumstance. It's a lot like that. Um, but you can kind of get an idea of what a, what a crooked uh, trial it was at the beginning. You know, one thing that Quakers do not take off their hats for anyone and uh, Penn and his co-defendant were standing around without their hats on at one point. We're about to go in the court and, and a legal official stops them and is like, put their hats on to make them go into the court with their hats on. And then the judge, knowing the judge would order them to take their hats off and that they wouldn't do so. And the judge proceeds to do that and then find them for not taking off their hats. <laughs> the whole, the whole trial kind of goes wow. like that. You can just see like, it's, it's just a joke. It's a set, total setup just to uh, purposely convict these people who were peaceful and not harming anyone. Um, so we have that on our website and, I definitely encourage people to um, read that and learn about the the trial and and all the sorts of things that juries are supposed to protect us against. Um, I would love to encourage people 
to make use of the free opportunity we all have to write letters to the editor or um, even submit a guest editorial on a timely topic and uh, invoke jury nullification and discuss how it's related um, in your local publication. Uh, that's a okay. great way to do that's it for free. Idea. Yeah, and also, you know, if you're if you're a talk show listener, call in and and talk about jury nullification. Um, I love those ways of doing it because you you can hit a really large audience, and it's not going to cost you much beyond your time. Um, and then, of course, if anyone's interested in giving a talk or anything like that, we can certainly help you get started with that. Um, or if you're thinking of starting a long-term juror rights education campaign, I would definitely like to help you with that. <laughs> right now, uh -huh. I know of long-term campaigns in New Hampshire, Colorado, and Texas. And honestly, this is the very best way to do sidewalk outreach. If you just show up the first day of a trial that's of interest to you, number one, you're putting yourself at risk for being seen as tampering because of that trial. Number two, even if you're not, you know, told that, even if you're not charged or convicted with jury tampering, probably the, the courthouse officials will come out and say enough scary things that you have to leave for the day. And then that one trial that you were interested in, too bad. Um, if you go out a few weeks ahead of time and settle with the courthouse officials, how you know how you're going to behave and everything. So, for instance, like if you go out a few weeks in advance and they tell you you can't be there, we can talk about how to defend your First Amendment rights, and then that should be settled, you know, by the time other trials of interest come up. And you can just keep on doing your same thing, general juror education outreach, uh, regardless of what's going on in the courthouse. Or, as we've had the case in, in uh, Texas, they weren't even bothered. <laughs> they, they were told by a couple of, you know, people, we don't like what you're doing, but they, they, haven't been, they haven't been told to go away or anything. So every week that they're out there doing what they're doing, they're establishing their right to be there, and it's going to get harder and harder for courthouse officials to try and chase them away later. Um, now, we have seen in New York City a uh, courthouse where it is well established at this point um, because a judge threw out an indictment for jury tampering um, that is perfectly okay for people to hand out our brochures. Um, unfortunately, oh, cool. in the Ross Ulbricht case, yeah, it, yeah, it was great. <laughs> we have it up on our oh. website and everything. So if anyone wants to go to the Southern District of New York Court, <laughs> Federal Court, um, we have we have uh, uh, the brief or the the ruling from the judge who threw out the indictment saying it's not jury tampering just to hand out our literature. Um, and nice. I should mention that oh was a case God. in which the person. Yeah, I, I should mention that was a case in which the person handing it out was had um, someone from the courthouse came out and tried to entrap him by trying to by saying I'm a juror and trying to talk about a fake case they weren't on. <laughs> but oh he, my he was just like yeah, he just stuck to, oh, stuck to the basic points. Yeah, he didn't he didn't discuss any case in progress, um, and so that that really protected him. Um, but uh, um, uh. yeah, at that court, uh, was the I don't know if you're familiar with the Ross Ulbricht case, the um, the guy alleged to have been running the Silk Road um, website. Well, anyway, it doesn't matter uh, what the no. case is, but yeah. The point of this is, um, so people showed up basically on the first day of his jury selection 
And the judge, knowing she couldn't do anything to them, then threatened to make the jury anonymous. Um, And the defense attorney asked for everyone to leave because he was concerned that this would lead the jury to believe that they were in danger from his client, thereby making them, you know, kind of like biasing them against his client. So if they had been going out every week for the last three or four years, (laughs) what, what, how would the judge be able to do that? It would be a lot harder to single out one trial and there certainly isn't any way that any court is going to anonymize every single jury over the course of years. So I definitely recommend getting started sooner rather than later (laughs) on a long-term outreach campaign. Um, Basically, if you have like an hour a week or if you have a group of people and, you know, you have a couple of people who can go this week and a couple of different people can go next week, it's a really small time commitment um, I can help get you trained. I can help look at the courthouse that you're you're considering uh, doing your campaign at. I can help you develop other activities not at the courthouse that you can tie into your campaign. And if there's going to be a long-term commitment, I do my best to support that with free literature. I can't give out free literature to everyone. Uh, so we right. try to target it to the most um, effective um, activities. And so this year we've given out a a ton of Jury Rights Day literature, and I've also been supporting a couple of long-term campaigns, so to have more long-term campaigns. um, We started a campaign in Washington a couple years ago, and I haven't really kept up on the Facebook wall, but um, I have definitely kept up on jury nullification, and so is our whole group, is that is all we ever talk about or do. So I like my guess is that in Washington – um, everybody should be know about jury nullification, but if they don't, because we just had a federal trial not too long ago where Lance Glore was convicted. Um, uh, no, yeah, because the jurors were clearly confused. In fact, the the trial was crazy, and one of the one of the jurors was actually a cannabis patient and had an anxiety attack three days after why they were deliberating over the case. And they took her off of of the case because she had to go to the hospital. So. You know, we had one juror there that would, would would have possibly been the one to keep him out of prison, but it just didn't work for for us. So that tells me, like in Washington, it's not good enough. Not enough people know about it. Even 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 where I'm at, and even where we talk about it all the time, it's just not it's not working out here. So we do need more people mm-hmm. to stand up. What I'm going to be doing yeah, on jury nullification? Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I would love, we have all of our brochures available for free download online, and I would love it if every dispensary or, you know, recreational provider, or I don't know what they're all called out there, but if, if every uh, everyone who provides marijuana downloaded that, printed them off, and whenever you whenever you sell something to someone, make sure they get a brochure. You know, that would be a great way to that do it. A beautiful idea. I love it. I, love um, I need idea. to try to get my yeah, you do. I like it too, Mindy. And even Mindy's from Oregon, so that would be cool for us to try to try to think of something how we can how we can put get that out there. Um, so Kirsten, I just want to also let you know, anytime right now, um, Craig Cecil can call in from prison. He's on his yeah. on his fifteenth year, so our interview with you will just end. But I just want to let you know, upcoming, Perfect. we've got George Monterano coming on, who's going to talk a little bit about his trial. He was in there for thirty three years. And then tomorrow, um, I'm just going to urge everybody listening, I am in the process of making a flyer 
I'm hoping to have it done by this afternoon so you can get a chance to look at it. But we're going to, on, on the left-hand side, our group is putting um, some prisoners who are prison for life who were found guilty. And on the right-hand side of the flyer, we're going to of our people who were found not guilty and who are free. And so I'm going to try to establish the difference between between why people are serving life and why people aren't serving any time at all through the jury nullification message in my image. So hopefully if anybody listening sees that, it will get shared hundreds and thousands of times. So um, everybody, you know, tomorrow morning wake up and see see that flyer on there and share it like crazy because even if you can't get out to be outside, that's my thing. I, I can't get out, and that, it's irking me because I've been out every year. But um, if you can't get out, you can still learn about this. So pay attention on Facebook and share the information. Even if it's not my image, share an image to start the whole week about Jury Rights Day. Or not necessarily Jury Rights Day, but jury nullification. This week, you know, let's, everybody listening, let's, let's love the internet with, with information so that people who are in their rooms watching TV will be fully informed about their jury rights. Um, what I, uh, Hold on, Tony has something to say too. I have jury nullification cards on my dashboard in my car, so when people walk by my car and pass it while it's parked, they can see both sides and read. I mean, you can educate Brilliant. that simple. Brilliant. Yeah, I yeah it and it's not too late. Oh, go ahead, Mindy. I do, I do the same thing. I have them in my windows in the back, and it started more conversations, and I've seen many people standing there reading them while I walk up to my car. Um, a couple times it freaks me out. What are they looking at? Why are they by my car? Oh, right, there's jury notification in there. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So if you're not signed um, up, so if you're not oh, signed yeah. up for an event, if you're not signed up for an event, um, don't feel bad. Still be educational out there and still go out there and tell people about their jury rights. It's very, very important. Um, Kirsten, it ended mm-hmm. slavery or helped in slavery and it helped in alcohol um, prohibition. So Exactly. You know, <laughs> can you tell us just briefly yeah. about that just a little bit? But keep in mind, Craig could be calling any second, so. Will do. <laughs> so basically, Whoa. when jurors refuse to enforce laws, it becomes embarrassing for prosecutors to continue with those prosecutions, and it becomes a complete waste of time and money, and they know it. And eventually, that message also gets back to legislators who change the law. When northern juries started refusing to convict people for aiding escapes of slaves under the Fugitive Slave Act, That helped undo the Compromise of 1850 and ended up um, contributing to how we got into a war to end slavery. In um, the uh, alcohol prohibition era, there was at least one jurisdiction where it's documented that some 60% of juries uh, refused to convict people for alcohol violations. Uh, That was also an era which ended up seeing longer and longer times that people were waiting for trials because there were so it was so packed with these violations and it was going so slowly that it just overwhelmed the court system. And it was only 13 years uh, before a constitutional amendment was passed repealing the previous prohibition amendments. So two constitutional amendments, um, emancipation and the end of alcohol prohibition, came about in part due to jury nullification. Part of the reason why 
judges and prosecutors are so terrified of jury nullification. They don't want juries to know about this right because it makes it very hard to enforce unjust laws. We see motions to limit information about jury nullification to the jury in a lot of cases, but it's very notable. You never see a motion telling a jury for murder not to. I got an answer for Craig, but you can finish your thought. It takes okay. a second to accept the call. Okay. Okay, sounds good. Yeah. You never see prosecutors filing motions to not talk about jury nullification in cases with real crimes like murder and rape. It's only in these victimless cases where jurors might be sympathetic and have conscientious problems with the law that they want to keep that out. Kirsten, I want to thank you very much for coming on today. And you, can you tell us one more time where people can find Fija's website? Mm-hmm. It's F-I-J-A, our initials, dot O-R-G. Oh, thank you so much, Kirsten. Thanks. Take care. You too. Thank you. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Indiana is beautiful today. It's sunny and I don't know, it's probably in the high 70s right now, so it's as good as it can get. Aw, uh, <laughs> so cool. Um, today we're talking about Jury Rights Day is tomorrow, and that's where FIJA, the Fully Informed Jury Association, where they put out, they launch a campaign and, and every day, every year, at July, Jan, um, September 5th, they ask people to participate in their communities about their power to say not guilty. And so that's what we're doing. Today. That's what we're, the discussion is today. And we're wondering how you are and how you've been. I've been well. I've been well. I I have good week. Good news this week. Uh, my daughter had some pretty radical surgery done on her hip, and it, she's back home now. And uh, it seems as though everything went well. And that's so hard being here, and you know, not being able to be there for her to help her get around to. You know, just to be by her side at the hospital and all that, it, it's really hard to just live that over the telephone. <laughs> you know, and I bet you it's really hard for her, too, not to be able to have her dad there. It is, it is. You know, I mean, she's missed that. Uh, I got <laughs> locked up uh, mere days before her uh, eighth grade graduation, and, and it hurt her dearly to see that empty chair next to her mom in the audience. and. You know, it's hurt her up, you know, ever since in so many different, uh, in so many different things where you know she would she would have her dad there with her. Right. So that that's 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 very painful. Um, you said she's been there since the eighth, just before the eighth grade. What? Um, how long? How old is she now? Well, she's she's twenty eight. Wow. Twenty eight. Now she'll be twenty nine in a, another month. Uh, but. Uh, you know, but unfortunately, you know, all those graduations, all those, you know, learning to drive, all those things were, you know, she wanted to rely on that dad, and it, at best she could talk to him about it over the phone was it. So. All right, well, you know, my dad, my dad, you know, he died in prison, but he wasn't in prison for that long when he died. Like, he, but, like, I had my dad my whole entire life, and I'm just thinking, like, from the eighth grade to the age of my 20, being 28 years old, I relied on my dad for almost everything in the world you can think of. He was my best friend, my support, like everything. I cannot possibly imagine going without him over a plant. Like that's just, it's it's miserable. I'm sorry, Craig. Yes, and and we were very, very close. Um, I bet, I bet. 
my wife and I had split, you know, a few years before that, about six years before my I, I was incarcerated. But, I mean, we we got along well, you know, in terms of the kids and that. And the, the kids could stay at either one of my, our homes. Yeah, my daughter preferred to stay at my house and all that. And, you know, it was just how our relationship was, as it, I guess is typical in many father-daughter relations, you know. Wow. Yeah, I... Um... That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. But we've been we've been fighting to get you free. Uh, hopefully, it'll help. Anything from the anything else? Well, let's see. Uh, well, a couple of other things, I guess. Uh, as I told you last week, uh, what that prosecutor and lawyer did together to change my sentence and especially and mainly just kind of locked me out of any other consideration for clemency or for. Um, for you know, a uh, complete sentence reduction. Right. Right. Yeah. But, but my research, and I, I've gotten all the documents now that are associated with that, and uh, and I've done some research, and some people have uh, given me some help and some connections and all that, and uh, it looks like I'm going to find a way to make this work for me um, on two fronts. I think I can get this order by the court completely thrown out so I can basically start from scratch. So that's oh. The other piece of good news is the Office of the Pardon Attorney has a provision that now they're, they're not supposed to accept and they're not supposed to process um, applications for, com, for commutations for people that have, you know, some sort of judicial, some sort of action in court. And, but there is a, a waiver you can receive and I'm putting together to request that waiver, and I would think I'd have to be in, you know, really good position for that waiver in that I didn't do any action to put anything in court. And the people that did put the stuff in court did so in a manner that's actually not even legal. So um, I should be in a good position for to get that waiver where they can continue processing my uh, my clemency application and, I should have that ready to mail uh, uh, on Tuesday morning. I, I'm really hoping to get that off. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, amped up about that. I'm going to find a way to, uh, you know, to make the best of this. Like one thing I did include in there is just to point out that, you know, um, you would think the Office of Pardon Attorney would want to know how my prosecutor and how my judge feel about a lowering of my sentence. So I pushed very, very strongly in there that, well, they both had a chance to weigh in on it, and they both recently, as recently as two weeks ago, said that I should have a sentence reduction. (laughs) So uh, I want the pardon attorney to rely on, you know, I'm obviously getting support from my prosecutor and judge that I should have a sentence reduction, you know, like the one they just granted in court. (laughs) So so I think we, we can put some spin in, you know, and, and show that in a positive light. You know, Craig, one thing that I hear and feedback when people listen to you is your attitude, how amazing it is. And, you know, this morning, as usual, your chipper and your amazing attitude is shining through. How do you maintain that incredible attitude after all this time? Well, mainly because I don't like the alternative. Um, I've had those days that are 
I mean, you you just want to sit there and mope. You want to cry. You want to, you know, be angry. You want to, you know, all those things. And I've I've found that there's just no advantage to me or anybody else. This call is from a federal prison. So I guess I, I just try to make the best of my situation, and, you know, my days seem to go a lot better, and uh, people react to me better when I'm not angry or mad or sad or... You know, I, I just kind of, I, I found that, that that's the best way to uh, endure this time in prison, is, to, is just to try to make the best of it. Do you have any specific things you do when you're struggling to lift yourself up? Do you have any cope, coping mechanisms, or is it you just tell yourself, you know, buck up, buttercup, and you know, how do you do that? Um, Actually, my coping mechanism... Uh, is just to work, to get very busy at stuff. As you know, I, li- uh-huh. I write a lot of legal papers for other inmates here. Um, I work a full-time job in the factory where I'm a, a quality inspector. I work as the scorekeeper for the softball league. I work uh, in doing stuff in uh, the Catholic Church here. I, I just stay really, really busy. And that, I guess, helps keep me from, you know, sitting on my bunk in the cell, you know, and um, being unhappy, you know, just by by keeping busy, I, I'm, you know, maybe to uh, to get my mind involved in other things other than the fact that I'm in this ugly old building. I that's I I love that about you. That's incredible, Craig. And I'm really intrigued about the softball part. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, we have. Oh, a, I think we talked about all the baseball that I watch. So, yeah, I think I've mentioned that. To I you. have a part-time <laughs> umpire, also. <laughs> oh, are you? Yeah. Did you get to wear all the umpire gear and everything. Oh yeah. Well, we don't wear the gear, but because uh, uh, it is slow-pitch softball, so there there really is no gear. <laughs> But uh, oh, okay. I do get to, you know, get in the arguments with people and, and all of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're out. No, well, I'm safe. And you know how that will go back and forth. <laughs> it sounds like you've got a wide variety of great things to keep yourself busy, not to mention all the work that you do to help advocate for yourself and others is probably quite time-consuming. It is. It, it's rewarding to you know, to be able to help somebody. And, I mean, that does, you know, make your day go by better. As I hope that you two and so many others helping me and so many others situated like me, I, I hope it does help your day as well. Oh, yes. I, was, you're a highlight of my every Sunday. Um, but having some a purpose, uh, something to do that's helpful to other people, is um, something that makes a huge difference in my life. So this radio show means a lot to me just to be a part of it. Do you have any other news, um, Craig? I don't know. Is Craig still here? Craig? Hi, Mindy, are you there? I'm here. I didn't hear a beep, though. I know. It says conference call, but it usually doesn't. 
I'm worried. I don't, I'm scared to touch anything on here because I don't want to mess anything up. But yeah, it looks like Craig is gone. Huh. Yeah, maybe they maybe it ended on his end or something. I don't know. <sighs> that worries me when stuff like that happens when when our people are behind bars. Like you never know what happened on the other end. And you have to wait for how long? Yeah, um, you go I think fifteen minutes in order for them for them to make another phone call from prison. So I doubt oh, he'll be calling back in. I'm going to go ahead. I think our next uh, guest is on, so I'm going to go ahead and screen some calls, Kristen. Oh, I think so, too. I see that area code. Okay, I'll be here, Mindy. I'm just going to talk about a couple things why why Mindy's gone that's really important and just remind everybody that tomorrow is jury rights day, and if you're ever called to jury duty and you feel guilty yourself about your verdict, change it. Say not guilty because um, no one should go to jail for a victimless crime. That's how I judge it. Now, I've heard a few other scenarios of ways you can judge things, but I'm not going to mention mention those on the show today. But I just want you guys to really be fully informed. And remember, it's not just yourself that needs to be fully informed. It's your neighbor. It's your friends. It's your family. Because anybody who votes, this is another thing. If you vote in a lot, like right now in Washington, we a lot of the medical, a lot of the, a lot of the big advocates think that the I-502 law is bad, in which I agree in a lot of ways, because it's going to create prisoners. So if we vote for a law and we're deceived and we're like, oh, this is going to make it legal, but really it doesn't really make it legal. Really it's just making people rich and making the poor people and put poor people in more prisons. If something like that is going on, um, you can nullify the law when it, in jury, jury duty. So these laws that are putting people in jail because, you know, the, the recreational law is attached to DUIs and possession charges you can get, all kinds of crazy stuff you can get in trouble for now that you couldn't get in trouble before. We can fight that out in court and go to trial and say not guilty, and that will eventually nullify the law because just like Kirsten said earlier, they will stop taking it to trial. They they will stop convicting on laws if they cannot get the convictions to go through. So um, it's very important, especially in Washington right now, and that we that we know our, that we're fully informed regarding our jury rights, and we are not sending to people to prison who never hurt anybody at all. Um, this is up with homeless people, and there's a lot of laws out there that says there's a law in Florida, Florida, and bylaws in California regarding homeless people. And you know, if you never hurt anybody, why are you going to jail? So you could say not guilty in those those situations as well. So mm-hmm. pay attention. Um, let's see here. I think. Um, one of our next guests is on the line, um, but Mindy's screening right now, so we'll know for sure in a second. Um, but our next guest is going to be George Monterano, and he spent 33 years in prison. And he's a free man now, I, me and Tony. Had yeah. you remember meeting him at his yeah. Tony? Yep, I remember shaking his hand and hugging him. And uh, both him and Jeff uh, were, I was surprised at how um, gracious both of those men were when I met them after serving those many years <laughs> in prison, um, how they come out with such gentle spirits. Oh, um, uh, it w- I, I was just impressed and um, so grateful to touch them and see that, you know, we do, we do succeed when we do uh, letter writing 
and we fight for prisoners' freedom. I've gotten to see two people face to face, and you know that we've gotten we've helped release, and that um, you know we have to keep doing it till everyone's free. Yes, yes, yes. In fact, Tony, I actually got kissed by both George and Jeff. So, like to actually be kissed by someone who is so heroic in this earth is just so sweet. So sweet. But yes, it looks like George is on the line right now. Him and Mindy are talking behind the scenes. (laughs) So, anxious to get him on. (laughs) So, as soon as they're done chit chat, oh, there he is right there. George Monterano in Georgie's Corner. Good morning, George. How are you? Hi. Good morning, Christine. Good morning, Mindy. Good morning. Uh, yeah, uh, let me let me quickly uh, state something about Craig. That uh, <laughs> that happens when the phones just cut off like that. That's not a that's not an unusual thing in prison. The phone you can be talking and the phones just cut off, and sometimes yeah. uh, they, it takes okay. takes hours or maybe a day and a half before they come up again. So that's not unusual. That's uh, they cut oh. off for the whole. They hold. They cut off for either his unit particularly or the whole institution. So that's not unusual. But anyway, oh, thank um, you for putting our mind at ease. Yeah, don't worry about that. Well, I'm pretty sure it's nothing that serious. But anyway, uh, let's get back to the situation. Uh, you know, the shows about the uh, the jury selections and jury's duties. I have my own personal views on that, and. Uh, Anyway, I'm down this. Uh, I've been up and down the uh, the East Coast uh, this summer, uh, trying to find small towns. Enjoyed myself. I'm at another small town called Longport, and as you know, uh, the East Coast has been battered with this Hermes this hurricane. Anyway, I've been out in it. I've been running in it and uh, and exercising in it. And the wind is pretty strong, but I noticed that I was having difficulty running against the wind. But I noticed something very small that didn't because it was of his nature to survive, and it was a sandpiper. And I wrote this poem. And I, I like to go that, that direction right now, and then we'll go into the other theme of the show. It's called Sandpiper. It was so small, so full of life. When storm beats, small bird must fight. Hard as it seems, sandpiper has its dream. So small, so full of life. Each day... Stand and dance. Sandpiper, sandpiper. May wind slow, may sun be soft, may and all give thee a chance for life to fly, to fly more to more. I just wanted to share that with everyone. Aww. I love yeah. it. I love your poetry. <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, I just want to share that. Now, let's get Thank back you. to the theme of the show. Okay, juries, okay. Well, you know, when you deal with big criminal trials, okay, in my day, you know, they had that. They don't do it too much, but they have what you call sequestered jury because they paint this picture of you in your indictment that you're the worst that the worst society has to offer. Even a nonviolent cannabis, first-time offender, they'll paint this picture, okay, and they'll get a sequestered jury. And now the sequestered jury, uh, they uh, no one can talk to them. They're housed at a location, an undisclosed location, and they're transported to a prison. Now, whoever doesn't think that there's some kind of psychological 
connection made between the marshals or the sheriffs, all defense. They're not allowed to voice themselves, but it's only human nature, ladies and gentlemen. It's only human nature where they try to paint that you're the worst time of guy by body expressions, facial expressions. You know, these sequestered juries are not supposed to talk about what's in the media. They're not supposed to look at media. They're not supposed to talk about it. But some of these trials go for four, six, eight weeks or better. You think there's no, there's no kind of human connection, okay, that it's going to deprive you of a fair trial, then you'd be a fool because I experienced it and many of my uh, friends and family have experienced it. I had a situation where a guy, he was an, uh, an old man, an old time man, and they tried to attach him to all this violence, and they actually had marshals and FBI agents on the roof, on the roof of the courthouse with rifles. Now, you've got a sequestered jury. Now, every time you walked into that building and left that building, what state of mind did they give? Okay, that's, and that's, that, that's things that happen. Now, how do you get a fair trial from that? You tell me, Kristen. Well, how... George, I'm sorry, what, the stories you're telling, it just kind of overwhelmed me, but I'm, how do you think that, how do you think we can fight against this kind of behavior? <laughs> By writing about it. You know, you have to write write magazines, possibly a book, documentaries. You have to actually reenact what they do. You have to actually reenact what they do to paint you as as this dread to society. And then you're a juror, and you're a juror, and it doesn't have to be a sequestered juror, even if the juror is not sequestered. They make such a presence in the courtroom, such a law enforcement presence. I'm sure you've seen it. You've seen it with some cannabis trials. There behind the, yeah. the, the prosecutor's presence is a, it's a whole slew of uh, law enforcement, and that, very that, really, that really paints a, that, a detrimental picture. Really paints a detrimental picture. Do you get in any fair decision? And here's another thing that should be brought up to the jury. That I, like I said, when I'm off of probation, I'm going to try to speak as much as I can. The legal, the legal departments and all the colleges have criminal justice courses and stuff like that. You, are, you must understand, President, you must understand when you're found guilty, you're found guilty, that's case law. That's written in stone, okay? Your type of case now is being, that's being used, that case is being used when you try to appeal. They bring up an individual's cases, you never heard the name, but they'll bring that, that case to show that you're just as guilty as that other person in case law. So it's much more it's much more broader than the jury actually knows. Much more broader. The jury comes in and they find you guilty and they go home and they think, Well, we've done our duty and that's over. But that case lives in infamy. That decision, that type of accounts that you found guilty is used against other appeals around the country. Incidentally, my father's case He's the leading because he won on prosecutorial misconduct, okay? And that is written in stone. He's the leading case in the state of Pennsylvania, okay, since 2000. Since 2000, he's the leading case forever, forever for prosecutorial misconduct. Okay, so that's, that's a good view. That's a good point of view. But reverse that, reverse that by thousands with the bad point of view. 
So it's much broader. That's why they want these guilty verdicts. They want these guilty verdicts because they're cases that be used against you in appeals. And it goes on and on and on. And it's such a mountain. It's such a mountain of these, these type of cases. That's why when you go to prison for weed or cannabis or pot or marijuana, it's so hard to win the appeals. Because the government in your appeals shows all these other cases similar to yours and all these other cases, they were guilty, and yeah, all these cases that lost their appeal. Yeah, I noticed that they make a lot of they they make and they they do a lot of similarities in all these cases in in advance in order to ensure that in the future nobody is actually able to win. Period. It's like if the system is completely set up for uh, the defendant and the prisoner to fail. Uh, there's no way of getting past it. The justice system lacks any justice. <laughs> wow. But, you know, what's funny about that, the people that come on our side, you know, a lot of uh, the people, that they were there. They were there doing this, and then they knew they were wrong. There was a case, I think, about four or five years ago, the clerk worked in an appeals division in, uh, in, uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, that would be kind of in my, that's 11th Circuit. He worked for the appeals clerk for the uh, he was a, he was a senior clerk for the appeals division. This guy blew his brains out because he said he couldn't wow. take the, the injustice that he's seen every day. He actually wow. blew his brains out. Yes, look up the case. Clerk of the appeals okay. court, Eleventh Circuit, takes his life because he felt he couldn't take the injustice anymore being repeated. Oh my gosh. So but yeah, like it's still continuing. What I would like to like do his that should okay, be all. Sure, should see a tape. Should see a tape and let them understand about case law. You know how how vast is this guilty verdict for a nonviolent first offender? How it affects anybody? I could do. I mean, I no one knows better than me. I killed thirty two times in federal court. Thirty two times. They use not. Hunts thousands of cases against me, thousands of cases that I didn't even know the names. But they show pattern. They show. They try to. They do that parallel. Okay, it's a contrast to you that you 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 should be guilty and you should be dying in jail for the rest of your life. So until we get that that education, we we have to educate. We don't educate the jurors enough. We don't educate them enough, and I hope to do that someday, Christian. I'm I'm so intrigued by everything you educate us on, um, Craig or George. It means so much. Um, I remember when Eugene um, was alive, and he told us on one of our past shows about jury nullification that his trial lasted over a year because of all the every, all the uh, snitches and everybody involved in the case and all the everything. Um, it lasted over a year. Um, how long did your trial last? <laughs> My trial, which is too long, it's, we don't have enough time to go into my situation, which is complete double cross, a complete farce. The judge, the judge, the prosecutor, my own lawyer were all involved in the double cross. So, to my case, is just a rare, very rare case, probably the only one that ever existed like that. So it's just, it's just, it well, actually, you can't, I had, I had two trials. I beat this case. So, but you can't, once they have that back room, once they have that, like I told before on the show, I think more than once, the hardest case to beat is the frame. Once they frame you, you're not winning the appeals. 
because they're all they're all good old boys, and they're not going to sink one one or each other for you. No way in the world. You're stuck. I was stuck 32 plus years, and I kept fighting and fighting and fighting. But you cannot take. After a point, you can't. You have to push it away personally. Okay, you have to deal with it intelligently. You have to get the hate out of you. Because hate will not let you think intelligently. So I had all the hate out of me, and I just fought intelligently, intelligently, intelligently. And then all those factors, all those type of individuals within that factors, okay, realize, hey, this guy's not a bad guy. Maybe we did something wrong, but that took over three decades. So that's what I have to share with all those guys doing a lot of time, especially the cannabis people. They do so well in there. They're the most, they're the most mannered prisoners, uh, very respectful individuals. I just I pray that they get looked at more differently, more differently than others. Pray. You know, it's just, I mean, I could go on and on and on. Okay. Yeah, we were talking earlier about one of our lifers who was denied denied his uh, retrial. So we're we're kind of I was kind of like we've already kind of been talking about how everybody's that it's rare to see somebody win an appeal or win a motion or get something in their favor, even just from the very first time they enter the courtroom. You know, even when they they the first the first court hearing all the way till trial, like it's very rare to get something to go right in your way in your direction. Well, you got to understand, this machine, this uh, judicial machine has been in place a long, long time. It's been around for over 100 years. And, you know, you have to understand that. You have to, you have to actually respect it in the sense that you're fighting something old and established. And the only way you can deal that is unemotional and intelligently. And you might have a chance. You just might have a chance, and that's the only way. The only way I taught, I mentored so many. Uh, I call it the mop. I was a mentor of prisons. I call it the mop. So I, I I slung that mop in so many classrooms to try to get these guys to understand the philosophical sense that they're up against. They don't understand that. They won't. They won't win. They won't even have a chance to win. They won't even get close to winning. And I respect this, Greg. Uh, you see how he just, you know, even though he gets the thing, his denials and, and they throw him a little bone, he still has a good demeanor, okay? He doesn't talk in a harsh manner. You know, that's so profound for an individual. It's so profound. Christian. Wow. Oh, well, have you done anything this week? That, um, have you done any, um, what's going on in your neighborhood with the, with the kids? And the, the well, well, actually, strange as it seems, I am uh, tutoring today my, uh, a book report. I have I have a ten year old uh, from a separated separated family, and uh, you know he he was issued a book report to do for the summer, and to do the book report correctly, he's got to go to five six pages. So I've been working on that <laughs> yesterday and today. Now you try to get a ten year old to sit down and do a book report. First, you have to get them to read the book. So between my uh, running in the, in the storm and my personal uh, writings, I, I'm working on a book report with the 10. So should I, should I put a feather in my cap? No. 
It's something all society should do. Lend a hand where they can. Lend a hand where they right. can. And so so then your track record grows. And then when you do get to speak in front of the powers that be, you know, these stories enhance, deliver your message so we can change the big picture. Little things, eventually, I believe, in my heart, will change the big picture. Girls. Okay. I couldn't agree more. All right, more. well. I know you, you guys out there, use West Coast girls, you just want to chain yourself to the fences. I understand that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, I remember a situation that I had with uh, little old ladies and, and high, uh, with, well, uh, there's an organization, little old ladies in high back sneakers. And uh, they're, they're, they're established, they're .org. And I think they're based, a lot of them are based in Florida. They wanted to come to the prison. They wanted to come to prison and handcuff them to the fence to, and for my freedom. And uh, I had to get my brother-in-law, John, this immediately I would have been shipped. I would have been locked up oh. and shipped far away from the family. But, you know, women, you know, once once you get the women riled up, it's a good thing. <laughs> Shit gets done, then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All yeah. right. Well, well, George, it was really lovely hearing from you this morning. Um, we love you. We always love you. We respect you to okay. the fullest. Yeah. And well, I'll, be, um, I'll, I'll be coming out. Good. I'll be coming out west in the near future. Good. 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 <laughs> good. We'll be. We'll be here. Um, we All got right. the hemp stock. All right. Up I'll talk to you next week. Take care. Okay. Love you, George. You too, George. Bye, George. Oh, love you too. All right. Bye, bye. Bye. All right, bye. All right, you guys, that was George Monterano, who just got out of prison after being incarcerated for 33 years of a life sentence, and that is what freedom sounds like. Um, our next our next guest, we're going to find out what freedom sounds like for him because he has won two cases, two trials, where jury nullification one, he helped him in his favor, and he was freed. Otherwise, he'd be in prison like right now and not even able to come to the house this morning. Um, that's the New Jersey weed man, um, Ed Fortune. You know him from New Jersey. He's also a big advocate for New Jersey location. And he just recently got in big trouble again. <laughs> We've had him on our show a few times um, regarding his raid, but we're going to get an update as to what is going on with that and how jury nullification is going to keep him out of prison for the third time and how he's going to win his case and how he's going to um, talk to us about your jury rights and um, also a little bit about tomorrow is jury rights day. So tomorrow is going to be the day that everybody shares jury notification information. So here is the New Jersey weed man. Good morning. Hey, Kurt. Hey, good morning. Good morning. How are you? You're here with uh, Mindy, and I have Tony at my house listening, so good morning. We're good. Good morning. Man. Yeah. Um, so, what I, uh, what's going on? I, I, couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine 33 years. I mean, I I did, you know, two years and, you know, and some change, and that to me almost broke me. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine doing 33 years. I did have the pleasure of meeting. Uh, George at uh, the Seattle Hemp oh, this year. 
Yeah. That's what I was going to ask. Did you get to meet him? Isn't he? Isn't he just um, like Tony was saying earlier about like how his how he just seems so. He's got such a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. He is. He's so He's kind. Not hardened at all. It doesn't seem. Well, he all that time. he just he he just endured thirty three years. I mean, I, I I would either come out extremely mad, extremely angry, or I would come out mellow, fine. Like, hey, I just did the worst that you can ever do to me, you know. Like, so I guess he he took the took that road, you know. Okay. Well, that's that's what I'm trying to say. Is like, okay, well, his jurors found him guilty. He went to trial. He could, he spent 33 years in there, and your jurors found you not guilty. That's so what I'm trying to show our listeners is the difference between guilty and not guilty. What do you think about well, that? Times times have changed a lot in the last 30, 33 years. You know, yeah. 33 years ago we were we were uh, you know <laughs> early early 80s. Um, you know, the it was. Reagan was in office. Well, you know, like we just had a marijuana guilty out here in Washington where it's legal. Senate. We just had a guilty. Of- wow, I I I don't understand how that happens. Well, yeah. you know, even in my last trial a couple of years ago, one of my jurors, actually the juror, the jury foreman, she actually found me guilty on a simple possession charge. And I know for a fact that she smokes on a regular basis, and I know for a fact that she smoked weed that I provided before, and she still found me guilty. Wow. So, yeah, Whoa. I find that I find that amazing too. Um, but you know, times have changed. We've we've got to the point where most Americans think that marijuana should be legal. Um, we got 24 states who have some form of legalization. There's four states who have legalized it. Uh, there's another bunch of states that, that have it on the ballot uh, come November. Uh, and I I think in this day and age, I think I can get at least one, probably more like six or seven jurors to agree with me that marijuana should be legal and say not guilty. But, you know, I started a hashtag. The hashtag is hashtag NJ can't get 12. And you know, and this is, yeah, and this is, and this is what I'm gonna keep pushing that the state of New Jersey can't get 12 to convict me, and you know, I, I really truly believe that. Uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'm gambling with my, with my freedom. Uh, that 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 I'm right. If I'm convicted, I'll probably get at least a 10 year sentence. I will probably do about six years before I'm eligible for parole. Well, which is the same thing I was facing um, back in uh, uh, 2014 when I got taken to trial twice, uh, as, as you just the first trial in in May of 2012. I got a hung jury seven to five, and in the second trial, the retrial of the same incident, um, I got all 12. And now here we are again. I'm facing another marijuana charge uh, trial. Um, I'm trying for a three-peat, and everybody in this area knows it. Um, I'm not hiding anything. I don't even feel like I'm a defendant because I'm truly on offense. I'm taking it to the prosecution publicly, and I believe that my jurors are going to know exactly who who I am, and there's going to be a percentage of them who are going to agree with me. 
So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about your current case. Last time we talked about you, you had been raided. Um, I've been seeing some things on social media saying that there might be a snitch involved in your case. Oh, yeah, that's what, that's what the, uh, you know, they indicted me a couple weeks ago. Uh, so they had to give up some information and some uh, discovery. And in it, there's a so-called confidential informant who hmm. supposedly, supposedly, yeah, supposedly bought an ounce of weed from me four times. Now, I call myself the New Jersey Weed Band, but trust me, most of my <laughs> friends know I'm more, I'm more like New Jersey's weedless man. And I know for a fact in March, I didn't have ounces of weed to be selling to anybody, and I know I didn't. And for me, weed man, to be not to be denying that is incredible. You know, <laughs> I went before I went before jurors and said that is my marijuana. I should have it back, and you should find me not guilty. So why would now I be saying no? That didn't happen. Like I don't really. I'm not sure even if they have a snitch or they just wrote that they have a snitch to the grand jurors. But if they have a snitch, that snitch will have to testify, and it didn't happen, you know. And you have to remember too, and this is this is this is has come as a shock to the prosecution. But I had twenty seven cameras in my uh, in my shop in my disp- in my uh, 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 restaurant because I was doing a reality show. Anytime I felt like it, I could take a clip, I could do whatever I want with it, I could manipulate it, I could do all these things. But I had the, all the raw footage of everything that went on for three months. That I had a, a, a nice system, and it would hold everything for three months. When they raided me on April 27th, and now they say that they had a snitch on March 14th, 15th, 21, and April 15th, then that means... Their snitch is on my camera, and I want to see if what he told the police and what happened is the same. I don't think so. Now, if if they even have a snitch, like I, I still, I'm still not 100% convinced that they even have one. I think they, you know, police have been known to lie. They will go to get a warrant. They will say they have a snitch, and then see most people, most people plead guilty. 94% of New Jersey drug cases are settled with a plea bargain, which I consider plea bargains, um, by the way. So that means only that, so that means only four percent go to trial. Six. But, or but get dropped. you know, I yeah, no, <laughs> it's early. Um <laughs> it uh it, it it amazes me that 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 how does the prosecution and the state get to bribe people for their testimony with the offer of leniency. Imagine me if I went around well, trying to trying to get witnesses to testify and I offered them something to do it. Well, you know, um, that just happened out here in Washington. That case I was telling you about <clears throat> out here in Washington, I just watched over six six people snitch on, on one of our medical providers. They were all childhood friends, ex girlfriends, um in order just to keep themselves out of prison, if you can tell on somebody, um, then that keeps you out of prison and it puts the other person in prison. So um, there's a lot of things. In fact, I've even heard that the government 
paying people and bribing people with things in order to get them to snitch. So even if it's not jail time, there's a lot of reasons why people do that. And, and when they do that, they also lie. Um, they also lie and say things um, in order to get to get the, the outcome of snitching, <laughs> to get the jurors to be able to believe what they're saying, they will lie and they will make it sound as bad as possible. So that's what we always want to advocate too, is not only when you're voting not guilty, um, also we got to stop snitching because if we can stop giving the government information about each other, they will not have a war against each other anymore. So I'm sorry you have a, a so snitch in your case. Well, again, I'm not even 100% sure that there really is a snitch because, like I said, police officers lie all the time. And they wanted a search warrant to come into my building and take my camera system. Um, See, there's a little bit more to this story. I had, prior to them raiding and actually getting marijuana, uh, I got into a, uh, for lack of a better word, a pissing contest with a a, uh, captain on the police department here over the city has a statue, a business statue, that all businesses must be closed at 11 p.m. Now, I know that sounds strange to people in Washington State who have all-night things that in, in Seattle and things like that, but um, it's, a re- it's a relic of our war on drugs. Um, and I have to tell you, this this statue is only in urban areas. So I'm not going to bring race into this, but I will tell you that geographically, this statue, and it's in a couple cities in New Jersey that all businesses must close at 11 o'clock and, you know, can control your Negroes. Sometimes I'll say that's the control your Negro law. But anyway, that's, I got into a, a, a piston contest with the, uh, with the captain of the police department about it. Um, by the way, this law doesn't apply to like Taco Bell or gas stations or Seven Elevens or anything like that. Just small, just small, just small minority businesses. But oh, I won't okay. get into the race because someone might accuse me of going Colin Kaepernick. But anyway, that's how it started. I got into this con- this dissing contest with this um, police officer, and then. I have to remember, I was I was calling myself making a reality show. So when the police officers started harassing me, as far as I was concerned, they just became fodder for my reality show. As I was editing video, of course, they were starring. And listen, this happens every single day. You can look on your TV and you can watch cops. You can watch sheriffs, L.A. Confidential, 48 Hours. The list of police officer reality shows is long has been going on for at least 20 years, where citizens just wander into these reality shows that police officers create, and they end up on national TV and this, that, and the other. Well, in this case, I was doing a reality show, and these police officers wandered into it. I started editing them and videotaping them, and when they found out, they decided to read my place. Oh, wow, hmm. you didn't hear me? <laughs> They decided yeah, to yeah, read no, my we can hear you. We can hear you, but you paused, oh. you paused for a second. Oh, okay. And, and then the police officers decided to raid my place and take my camera system, and they happened to find some marijuana there, and that's my indictment. Their their objective when they came was to take <laughs> my camera system that, had, that depicted them 
and my hard drives, which I was editing uh, them. You know, this I was yeah. making a reality show. It wasn't even a secret. I I told everybody. The Wall Street Journal covered it. Uh, mainstream news covered it. And then the police came and took it all. So you have nothing in your to be able to use in your defense now. What you're saying is that they have all of your evidence as well as their little evidence. And who knows how they're going to put that together in order to get a case against you. But I like I used to say all the time, like you're very popular in your in your area there. And do you have any specific plans as far as um, educating any more of your of your um, city, or um, what do well, you plan on doing as just when the trial starts to approach? Well, I'll I'll tell you first of all, by discovery rules, I get it all back. I also think that it's my intellectual property and I should be able to get it back anyway because I was making a reality show and they stole it. Um, but by discovery rules, I get it. They seized it, I get it. I get a copy of it all. Uh, the the, yeah, okay. the local po- prosecutor, it's funny, he, they, they asked the judge for a restraining order against me to keep me from, if when they give this video back, they, they want a restraining order ordering me not to place their confidential informant on video, on YouTube, on Facebook. That's what they asked the judge recently. Uh, the judge will, he, will rule yeah. on that on October, October the 3rd, but that's what they asked. Like, they're scared that I'm going to put their confidential informant on video, or they don't want, if they give the camera system back, they don't want me to make <laughs> videos of it to put it on, on, put it out there, which I don't care what the judge says. I'm going to do that anyway. It's mine. I'm going to use it however I want. <laughs> right. um, but, but as far as the question you asked, oh, I plan on distributing flyers and things like that. Matter of fact, tomorrow is jury notification day, but it's also uh, Memorial Day, so the courts are closed. But Tuesday, I'll be standing in front of Mercer County Courthouse passing out jury notification flyers, Probably with a big sign also saying fortune, not guilty. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there who think you shouldn't direct the case, direct the, your jury notification issues at a direct case, but I'm not like that. I absolutely am yeah. advocating not only jury notification in all drug cases, but specifically my case. Um, and sure, let them arrest me. <laughs> that would just be more news and more awareness for jury notification. And I think ultimately, you know, I'll be feeling not guilty of that too. And the big problem is I'm not scared. You know, that's their problem, that I'm not scared. Most people, as I said, 94% of the cases that go to trial in New Jersey don't go to trial. I demand a trial, and I'm not scared which bothers them. That's why they have to file things like a restraining order against me. That's why they seized my camera system. That's why they took my weed mobile and crushed it, you know, things like that. You know, the state yeah. is afraid of me. So, Crush, real quick, we've we, we got to go on to our next caller in a second, but there's a couple of things I just want to go over real quick. They crushed your weed mobile, which had jury nullification, I've I've seen it on Facebook a billion times, and it has jury nullification um, messages all over it. So 
like they don't want people to know about that, so they clutched it, I guess. Is that what happened? Or were they was well, it you? I, I noticed your picture was on it too, a picture of you. Yeah, it has a picture of me blowing smoke in, it had a picture of me blowing smoke in Uncle Sam's face. I've been really uh I've used that weed mobile to spread my message about jury nullification, about uh legalization, um, irritates certain prohibitionist types. And that was like a personal little dig at me for them to seize my weed mobile, take it to a junkyard, and have it crushed. Like, oh you know, my God, I'm so sad. I like that. I like that. I like seeing that. That's it's like the death yeah. of something special. Yeah, wow. Oh my God. Yeah, that's what they. That's um, what they did. And you know, I think what? I have gotten more public empathy to me because of the weed mobile. Like more people are mad. The state, the city, took my weed mobile and crushed it. Than they are at the prospect of me going to prison. But you know, no problem. I can deal with that. Then I'm going to run with that empathy I got. I'm going to. I constantly am going to talk about the fact that they stole my weed mobile, stole my my camera system, and crushed my weed mobile. And I fear that they're going to delete my camera system. Um. Well, I've got. I've got. Um. I would just want to let you know I'm working on an image. So, like for people that um, can't get out and do 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 stuff on on this on the courthouse steps and stuff, I'm working on a jury nullification image for our cannabis movement in order to show all of our other people on it. And on the left side of the image, on the left side of the image I'm working on, I've got two three people who are serving life sentences um, for cannabis who um, could have been voted not guilty and not been in prison. And then on the right side, I've got Three images, and you're one of the images of people who are free today because of jury nullification. So I'm trying to show what the difference between guilty and not guilty is through an image. So I'm gonna, I got, I got you on my image. So I'm hoping you'll share it, um, and the image will share it in order so that you know we can stay safe. And it's also gonna have some information about how it can help not just our own, our oh, own little cannabis it. community, but the whole world. So um, I'm working well, on that, and I hope that. to watch it soon. Okay, I appreciate okay. that, and I'm proud. I'm proud to be on your flyer, and I hope you send me a copy of that so I can distribute that same exact flyer here. Okay, cool. I will. I will, and it'll be an image. I'm hoping that, and not just not just um, this image, but any other images out there all week that we can share regarding jury nullification. Everybody listening, you know, everybody listening needs to. If you don't have a jury nullification image to share, go to Facebook walls and find one. They're all over the place. Um, just Google jury nullification and share, share, share like crazy. So Google images and there's tons that pop up. Um, Mindy, is there anything you want to say to the New Jersey Wee Man um, before we let him go? I just want to thank him for his very strong fight and always being out there and loud and proud and just keep doing what you're doing. And I look forward to seeing you win your case. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, well, New Jersey Women, I'm looking forward to seeing you win your case, too, because you just got to win, and nobody should go to jail for a plant, because if you don't win, you're going to be in prison, and we can't we can't be accepting that, not not in our not in our nation, not like you said, times have changed. So we're rooting yeah. for you, and we're going to do everything we can to help. The state can't get 12. That's what I say. Hashtag NJ can't get 12. That's why I want people to okay. hashtag, hashtag NJ can't get 12. NJ can't get 12. <laughs> I would have to go to jail. 
go to your Facebook wall because I can't remember all that. Okay, I'll, but, I'll post this. All right. You go to your Facebook. It's there right now. <laughs> okay, all cool, right. cool. Thank, thank you, New Jersey. Thank, thank you, Mindy. Thank you. All right, bye. All right, bye-bye. All right, you guys, that was the New Jersey weed man who has won two cases and is working on his third case. We've got a couple more callers. We've got Dr. David Allen, who is also going on my flyer as somebody who got not guilty um, and is saved from prison time. And then after that, we've got uh, we've got Jeff Eichen, hey, who Kristen. is Kristen. yes. We got yes. a special caller that popped in and on her break. Can we catch? Can we pull her in quick before? Let me see here. Tom, we got Amber. Oh, we've got Amber. Taylor. Amber Taylor. Yes, let's talk to Amber real quick. We've got, we've got. Okay, so we're going to talk to Amber, and then we're going to talk to Dr. David Allen, and then we're going to talk to Tom Corby. So we got 30 minutes left, plus close. So we've really got about about 22 minutes left. So um, let's go, Amber. How? And Amber's father is serving life sentence for a joint. Thomas Landreth. Good morning, Amber. How are Good you doing? morning. How are you? Good, ladies. How are y'all? Hi. Um, well, you're here oh, with me good. and Mindy and Tony, and we're good. We're we're wondering, um, how are you and your dad? So um, I'm doing really good. My dad is he's doing pretty good. I got a visit. I finally got to visit him. First visit in six years. He got to meet my kids. Oh. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely amazing. We got to spend four hours together, and it was outside, and the kids got to play with him, and they just loved their Grandpa Aww. Red. It was great. So wonderful. I'm sorry I had to be behind bars, though. Yeah, it was uh, pretty surreal for my kids to have to leave Grandpa behind. They didn't really understand that oh. very much, but... But and they didn't understand why the policeman had to, you know, frisk the kids and it was it was a it was an experience for them, but you know, it's they 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 have to know what's going in our world going on in our world too. You know, they have to be prepared for the world that they're gonna be out there in and that's that's a very true reality right now is that so many people are going to visit their loved ones behind bars for marijuana. It's a very sad reality, man. It yeah, it, it's it's touching. Um, I'm sitting here with Tony, and Tony brought tears tears to her eyes, and I've got goosebumps and chills. Like I, this is not acceptable. Um, for our listeners, you know, um, Amber's dad has been tortured in prison, to almost to death at, at some points in his in his in his prison incarceration, um, and it's just not not acceptable. Um, for one, that that's happened to him, and for two, that it's happening happening to his daughter and his grandchildren have to be there on the side to have to just just stand by him. I'm I'm so glad you're there for him, though, Amber. There's a lot of our prisoners who lose their families over all of this, and you're so strong. You're so strong. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm an older woman now. Um, uh, ten years ago, I sometimes didn't answer the phone. You know, I just didn't want to. It's you know people have to get some people have to grow and it takes other long others longer to grow. It was kind of like out of sight, out of mind, and it hurt me a little less to not pick up that phone and and hear him behind bars. But now I 
now being an older woman and more more wiser, I understand that he can't make it without me. I mean, he's just not going to make it without me. And I, and regardless of any animosity that I have of him not being there, as when I was a child, there's certain things that we can't control in life, and I have to be there for him because there's nobody else, and and I accept that responsibility with honor. You know what? I'm honored just to just be able to talk to you about that right now, Amber. That's amazing because you're so strong, and to to be able to come from that frame of mind to the frame of mind you're in now, it's like um, share that world with other people. Yeah, you're you're seriously like a superhero, and I don't even think you realize it. Like that's that's cool because <laughs> other people are gonna make me all... cry. <laughs> If you think about it, Amber, there's a lot of young girls out there probably right now who are in the same position that you're in, were in, and not able to accept that. So if, like, you can connect to the younger generation, you have a chance to just save, save a lot a lot of pain and suffering out of people's hearts. You can just help help put a Band-Aid on. I really think it's That's cool that who awesome. you are. And what... so many people that I talk to, and the first thing they say is, like, your dad's an adult and he makes his own decisions. Well, that may be very well true, even despite the mental illness and drug addiction, but our system sets us up for failure. If we don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to fight them in court, when we do end up getting caught for being human, then there's nothing to do. We become their slave in their penal system for the rest of our lives. Anytime you catch a charge, it will follow you for the rest of your life. Even if it's, I just filled out an application to work at a marijuana dispensary, and it asked, you know, if you've even been arrested for, you know, minimal things, things follow you for the rest of your life, and that's what the system intends to do because that makes you their property, and they have control over that. And that's something that we have to stand up for and fight and as a kid, you tend to not realize that that's what's going on, and you're just pissed because your parents are not there. Well, that's not always right. the case. They want to be there. They they don't want to be behind bars. They want to be with you. They would not be without you if it, if they could do anything about it. Well, you know, remember the old host of the show, Eugene Fisher, who just recently passed away. He served 25 years of a life sentence. He always preached that the families do the time also. It's not just the prisoner. It's also the family. So um, we all just got to. Yeah, we definitely do. Even <laughs> I drive my husband to a drug class every Wednesday for a crime he committed when he was 17 years old and, had, and hasn't had any contact with drugs in over 15 years. I do the time with him. I take him to his UAs every two weeks. I take him to his parole meeting every month the family does it with them you know it's um and my kids see that and it's it's like a generational curse you know that's that's another problem with the system Uh, mindy do you mindy's quiet and i know she loves you with a passion too mindy is there anything you want to say to amber um i i'm sorry i'm just a little emotional about this story and listening to amber this morning i your courage is amazing to me, and just if there's anything else that we can do to help support you, please 
Let us know. There is one thing that I would like to do right now. Um, President Obama is not going to be our president for very much longer, and we have got to get him to recognize Lance Glore. Lance Glore is doing time for fighting for us. We have got to get his name out there. We have got to get the president to say, who is this guy, so we can get him out of jail. So everybody, please go Google Lance Glore. Look up his mother, Tracy Glore Pike. Please sign the petition. Make a T-shirt. Make a sign. Let somebody know his name. Amber, we um, you'll be happy to know that our group, the Voices of the Cannabis War, at the Seattle Hemp Fest, we got I don't know how many letters signed for Lance um, for his appeal. So we are, yeah, we we I I am the biggest Lance supporter in the country in the human <laughs> world, and so and so are our people up here and our here um, helping him. We got not tons and tons, but we we did some good. Got a lot, got quite a bit. So we have to get them to his mother's town. I haven't had a lot of time because I've been working almost 40 hours a week, but um, we do we do have some letters to help Lance out, and we're going to try to get more. I met him lobbying for my pops, and you know he just never he never questioned why I needed his help. He was just re- willing and ready to help. Now I'm going to get emotional. So, yeah, no, he needs help, too. Free Thomas Landis, free Lance Gore, free Chris Martin. Um, uh, Lance was a victim of the 2011 rapes, just like the the same ones that incarcerated my my mom and dad. So um, the same ones that that got that sent Lance to Lance to prison. So I've, I'm really there with you. Um, but, Amber, we've got a few more people lined up. Is there anything else you want to say before we let you go? Um, keep calling the um, uh, medical board. The flyer for my dad, his uh, neuro appointment is still more than a year out, and his tumor is getting bigger, oh. and that's not acceptable. Um, everybody, oh. stay blessed, and you ladies enjoy your day, and you're killing your show. I really love it. Thank you for calling you. and taking time on your break, and and calling us and listening to the show, Amber. You're welcome. Y'all have a great day. All right. All right. And I said hi. All right, you guys, that was Amber Taylor um, calling in for her dad, um, who's sending a life life sentence in prison for a joint. And the story of how that happened is also incredible. Um, We could hear that on some of our previous shows. But next we're going to go to Dr. David Allen, who went to trial and won. And he's not in prison today, but he would be in prison right now if he did not win that trial. And we wouldn't have this great heart surgeon fighting for our rights um, and our freedom. So here is Dr. David Allen. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing today? Hello. Good morning, Dr. Allen. Can you hear me okay? I can yeah, hear we you. can hear you. Okay, good. Yeah. Um. Well, how are you guys doing this morning? We're good. We're, 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 <laughs> we're talking about um, our favorite subject. So. Yeah. Jury nullification. Jury nullification yes. is a very powerful tool that's actually changing prohibition. And what's happening yep. is. Uh, during nullification, there's 
people all over the country that are refusing to convict somebody for a, a flower crime for for using cannabis. And uh, it extends to other issues as well, but but cannabis for sure. And and what's happening is it's ruining the business plan of prohibition. So the prohibition business plan pens on a jury, 12 people, not 11, but 12 people to say guilty so that they they can find you guilty and do their and extract money out of your incarceration. That's what it's all about. They're making money out of incarceration. Yes, yes, you just said it all. Yes, Dr. Allen, tell us, talk and, to us. And so, tell us more. so these jury nullification destroys that business plan. And so what's happening is you're going to I predict this to happen. Uh, juries are the way that we can prevent bad laws from being enacted. And so what's going to have to happen is this. They're going to try to take juries out of the equation. So they're going to try to go to administrative courts. They'll have drug courts with a judge but no jury. And they'll have uh, these drug trials without a jury and they'll be, they'll be convicting 98% of the people that show up in front of them. Who's so going to be making the conviction, the judge? It'll be, be a judge. It'll be an administrator. See, there's two kind of law in the United States. There's, there's regular law. If they, if they charge you with a crime, then you go to a, a court that has a jury. And you have the right to have a, a, a lawyer. But in some cases, they don't want cases to go to trial so what they do is they have administrative courts and so like family court is an administrative court and what that means is you could hire a lawyer to to go to family court but most of the time they just take you to court it's just you and the judge and the prosecutor and whatever evidence they have against you and if you can afford a lawyer fine if you can't afford a lawyer it's not a criminal case so so you're not afforded a lawyer so uh, and the medical board does the same thing. So the medical board, if you, if a doctor has a license in the state, the medical board believes that it can, it can investigate the doctor uh, and use any investigative means, even unconstitutional investigative means, because you have a license with them. So they can do anything they want if they want to investigate you. So what they do is they send in investigators with um, – recording devices and they record the doctor and sometimes the patients without a warrant now the federal law 18 USC 2511 that's the federal statute for wiretapping and eavesdropping requires a bunch of criteria to to comply with and and the medical board doesn't want to comply with that because they mostly investigate misdemeanors committed by doctors so um, so jury nullification did save my life. Uh, I had six felonies that I went to trial with. I was held uh, in jail pre-trial. Uh, they denied me my bond, and I was in jail for 14 months and went to court, and um, the judge threw out four of the six felonies as having no basis, and that's the that was what why they were actually keeping me in jail was those four that the judge threw out, and two of them went to, to try went to to jury judgment. Uh, 
one was eleven to one, and the other was seven to five vote. The judge would not wow. have to split split be known, and my lawyer said yeah. probably it was eleven to one in my favor. Otherwise, he would have made the the jury go re-deliberate. So basically, I was saved by massive jury nullification. They were going to give me thirty-five years in prison. For, oh my God, uh, that could have been life for you. It could have been for life. Four grams of marijuana that they found on my sister. Four grams of marijuana and sixteen grams of hash that they found. And they were Dr. going to give Ellen, me sixteen I, years, thirty thirty-five so, years for that. I am so thankful for jury nullification because I do not know what movement would do without you on this side of it. I. I'm telling you, you mean so much to our community, and I am so thankful that jury nullification saved saved you. Because if you were on the other side right now, we would be we wouldn't be as as good off as we are with, with having you here. Like you're you're so amazing, and we appreciate you. And I'm so happy well, you're you so free much. today. Um, I, I wanted to also mention, I, you guys also said something about snitches, and I, I thought I'd mention something this because I had some personal experience with this. Um, when I got in jail, there was this uh, there was this guy that had full sleeve tattoos that was in a bunk, a couple bunks down from me that started to be real friendly with me. Reginald Scott Thomas was his name, the little snitch. And he was a uh, he was a uh, uh, a gang member, and he had ten uh, felony cases of uh, forgery. Each case had ten years, and so he tried to befriend me, and he was trying to talk to me. And I, of course, I wouldn't say nothing to anybody because I don't trust anybody, and he. Then all of a sudden, he started being real mean to me. And I didn't understand him. A day or two later, he got out of prison. And I didn't think much of it. But nine months later, my my lawyer come to me, and he had this affidavit this snitch had signed that, that I had, he claimed, I had admitted that I had sent marijuana from Mississippi, grown in Mississippi at my property, to California. Wow. And that I had, wow. Anything that I had, to present, I think. He, he claimed that I had sent him, uh, or I had sent 40 pounds three or four times to to California. It's all a lie. And, yeah, um, he got a prison. He's free. He got moved out. So what happened was uh, the guy came up to snitch on me, and, and, and actually he had been re uh Arrested, they came in 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 prison clothes and handcuffs, and he had full sleeve tattoos. And uh, (laughs) he got up on the stand, and the first question my lawyer asked him was, "Are you a member of the Aryan Brotherhood?" And it didn't really matter what his answer was. No. So, um, so the jury kind of freed me because they knew that this snitch was a liar and also the police admitted to planting false evidence in my case. And uh, so that saved me. And, and uh, so anybody that goes to jury, here's an important thing. 
don't tell them what your beliefs are. You don't say anything. When they ask you what your opinion about pot, you say, I don't really have an opinion. That's what you got to say. When you get into the jury, you listen to the thing. You don't say anything to anybody else. When it comes to time to vote for guilty or not guilty, you say not guilty. And they say, why do you say not guilty? You say, it's none of your business. And that's it. And that's when you win. So so basically you're saying that people, instead of fighting um, to get out of jury duty, you should stand up to it. And fight you to get, get on, to on jury, jury duty and, and be surreptitious. Get on there. Don't say anything about your opinion. Get on there and free a prisoner from pop. Free, free these yes. people that are being accused of cannabis crimes. And this, once, yes. once they have a bunch of failures, they will quit doing this. Yes. Okay. Well, Dr. Allen, we've got two more guests. We've got. Um, We've got Jeff Eichen and Tom Corby, and then i got to do closing all within the next 12 minutes. All right. Thank you so much so, today. Wanna... Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. God bless. We love you. You too. Because that was Dr. David Allen, um, who went to prison, um, went to trial, won, is free today. He was a heart surgeon who the government didn't like it because he was prescribing it um, to patients in California. And they just had a big, big problem with him. They're still, he's still fighting the war. He's not free just because he's not in prison. He's still fighting because they're trying to take his license away. And he, he's, they're really messing with Dr. David Allen's rights. And he's fighting for all of us because he's a doctor. And he's been hit one of the hardest out of all the doctors, along with Molly Fry. Um, and I got a chance to meet her husband at the Seattle Hemp Fest, who is, I believe, an attorney. And he got in trouble. But... It's all bad out there, you guys. It's all bad. Um, so, but next, we're going to go to Jeff Eichen. We're going to talk to him about the Life First documentary. Um, when we were at the Seattle Hemp Fest, it premiered the preview, um, and we were able to go to the movies, and it was awesome because George Monterano was there, Jeff Mazansky, uh, the Voices of the Cannabis War, um, Tony, Adam, and I, and then there was also uh, Della was there. Uh, yeah. Dennis, uh, there's just so many, uh, many more. My mom was there. Um, Chris Mazansky was there. Um, Jeff's son. It just, it was just awesome, awesome, awesome. Brought tears to my mother's eyes to watch it. Um, and I believe uh, last week, George, it brought George, tears to George's eyes. He mentioned as well. So here's Jeff Eichen, and then we're going to go to Tom Corby, and then we're going to go to close. Good morning. What did you think about the view, the preview of your of your movie? I was so blessed to have you all there and to begin uh, to share um, a work in progress. Um, I know all of this is a work in progress. For sure, for sure. I thought it was cool because you had the green carpet all laid out, and we're you're doing interviews with people as they were coming into the theater. Um, and then it was just really awesome to be able to sit up there and eat some popcorn and, you know, everything you put together. Um, I, I really like the images you put where you put hemp and uh, food. A labor of love. Yeah, Tony's here. She was she was at the screening as well. She she called it a labor of well, love. Well, I have to say the, the hemp angels were on our side because um, at the 12th hour, everything was falling apart, and it just came together. You and Mom were fantastic, and um, 
I was blessed to have, you know, you talk about us on VOW radio last week, you know, for lifers and, and have you at the green carpet. We had people from Los Angeles fly in, Dr. Parthenia Grant, uh, who's a talk show host on the radio down there and, and her. I, awesome. got to, I got to meet her and I loved her and her daughter. They were the coolest people I loved. I, I really enjoyed meeting them. Yeah, well, I've been fancying uh, Dr. Parthenia for quite a while. We've been we've been hanging out when I go down to L.A., and I've been on her radio show. And she actually is a little bit uh, concerned about, uh, you know, the marijuana issue, and she wants to legalize across the board nonviolent, you know, drugs. And so Lifers, Lifers is hanging with, with all, all nonviolent drug criminals. Well, for those of us who weren't able to see the premiere, is there a is there a link somewhere that we could see that? Well, we're not going to put it on on uh, online yet because it's a work in progress, and I was previewing it. But actually, tonight in Port Townsend, I'm having a lot of guests over for a vegan potluck, and we're going to preview uh, some of the updates that I made. Um, Chris uh, Conrad and Mickey Norris, they're so beautiful, and and. Mickey wrote the the book Shattered Lives, um, and that was the first visit of anybody public that went in and did a full project on prisoners. And so now that we're the voice and we're making this movie, once we get funded and we get it polished up and really great sound people on it and and um, our soundtrack going because we had Baby Gramps there and we had Dave Baker, it was just fantastic. We're gonna we're gonna really push this thing hard and get it to Obama. Wonderful, well, Jeff. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's, it's awesome. But Jeff, I was I was thinking, um, I forgot what I was gonna say though, because you were talking about um, uh, some of the people you had on there, and I, I wanted to say, oh yeah, I got a chance to talk to Nick, Nikki uh, as well at the screening, and they're really cool and. When you, oh, yeah, now I remember what I was going to say now. When you said you're going to go towards um, all drug offenders, you know, us as the voices of the cannabis war, we believe that, um, you know, the cannabis is a big part of the drug war, and just by even having a single joint on you can get you caught in the right in the middle of the drug war, and we believe that nobody should go to jail for any victimless crime. So we're right there with you, and um, uh, we love the movie. Uh, we love the preview, and we can't wait for more. So... And we also saw you I, I at the have, best I, at your booth. Oh, it was it was fantastic. We had a great little area. Um, not a lot of traffic for sales, but uh, but we could we could gather there. The music was great. Um, I have one announcement. Um, uh, since radio and movies are a great way to talk to many people and get our word through the universe to Holland and to Uruguay and Portugal, um, you know, through through the internet and all that stuff. Um, I was called yesterday by the Native Americans, and they asked me to come to North Dakota. Right now, they're protesting the uh, the pipeline, and one of my elders there, um, and uh, Gary, he told me he said if he walks me into the tribal council, which I'm so blessed that I'm um, allowed to do this, and I may do this. They asked me if I would go in and interview Leonard Peltier. That was amazing. And right from the council, from the Native American council, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) I got his sticker on the back of my trailer. So, yeah, and uh, I've been following that story. I would 
I would love to see whatever you get out of that. Can you believe it if Lifers got Leonard Peltier, you know, um, media and, and out? I mean, that's the deal is that I'm going to finish Jack Herrera's job and I'm going to get every prisoner out with your help. That's, that yeah. is pretty amazing. Have you uh, Freedom been following his son is riding his motorcycle across country and they have a big uh, free Leonard campaign going on right now? It's It's but, pretty amazing. Well, if they let me in because I'm relentless and I'm really grounded and, and the right person to, to do this, you know, with my little getup, um, I'm totally on board for doing crossovers. And, and he can he can also be, you know, a poster child because with Jeff Mazansky and George, they're so articulate. And George, if you're listening still, thank you so much for being open to me and give me the night interview and coming to my movie and Jeff Mazansky, thank you so much for coming and for enduring all those years and box carring and, you know, I mean, just everything. And I'm so proud to be the voice and helping you all out here. Well, we, we are happy to help you too, Jeff. That's, that's what all this is about is coming together and sharing our voices out there and, Radio and, and movies, just like you just said, um, through video and through radio and through voice and images. That's another thing we like to do is images. And one-on-one, like that's where we go to events and actually talk to people one-on-one is really important as well. So we're all about it. We're, we're all trying did, to end prohibition. So we did, you have a tear, did, did you have a tear in my movie? Did you cry? Yes. Oh, my gosh. A lot, Jeff. I was touched the whole entire time, especially – your one-on-one art, um, interviews that you did with Jeff Mazansky and that interview at the end with the medical cannabis patient really touched my heart as well. Like it, it touches us all, especially my mom. She was crying the whole movie because my mom could relate on every level. My mother was a caregiver. My mother was a patient. My mother worked for a company. My mother grew plants. She was a cultivator. Um, she also was a prisoner and she also um, helping to get the laws passed for decades. And so on every single level, but, and when she, you know, when you talk to Jeff's family, my mom could relate to that too because my mom has, her husband died in prison. Not only did she go to prison, so it touched my mom on every single level. Every single point you made had a huge effect on her, and that's and and me as well. But my mom especially because she's been right. She was every every person in there. She every person in your movie. She represented it at some point. She was that person. We, so we have to um, we really have to fund. That. We have to fund this. We have to get episode number two about the children and the families. We have to keep this rolling, and um, and I'll have Voices of War, you know, be my my biggest supporters, and and we'll we'll just go around the country showing this at every festival, but get it into regular people's homes so we can get done with prohibition. It never worked on alcohol. No, nope. All right, Jeff. Well, we only have 90 seconds, and we're going to go into a few minutes of overtime. And we still have Tom Corby from Northern California update, and then we got closing. So I just want to thank you for calling in today. We appreciate it, and we love working with you. And we'll talk to you very, very soon. Okay, and I'll let you know when I have a little uh, more online. Um, My my trailer's there. And remember, everybody, lifersandmovie.com. And clemency reform and restitution plus ending prohibition. We love you all. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks. All right, you guys. Next, we love you too, Jeff.
Next, we're going to go to Tom Corby, who is the Northern Chapter Coordinator for a group called The Human Solution International. He is also a very strong voice of the cannabis war, as he calls into this radio show every single week and was a past defendant, and his wife was a past defendant and almost faced prison time. So we're going to get a, a summary of the show by Tom Corby and some news. Uh, good morning, Tom. How are you today? We don't have very much time, but we want to find out what's going on with you in Northern California. Good morning. Good morning, Tom. Top of the, top of the day. Thank you, Kristen, uh, Mindy, for another great historical show and all the great speakers today. We talk about jury rights day, jury nullification. I can't imagine not having our friend and Lord David Allen with us today, one of my best friends, in fact. How he really comes for others, too. Uh, hats off to Dr. David Allen. Uh, I'm so glad that uh, he wanted to huge case. We talk about all these cases are historical. They all set huge precedents. His, can you imagine spending 14 months in Mississippi prison? I honor Dr. David Allen for standing strong. I want to expound a little on something he said. Well, first of all, when I go out, I talk to people on Jury Rice Day or any time. What folks want to do is share nullification. Most folks have no clue. When I tell them that it's not only the juror's right, but his duty to find verdict according to his own best understanding, judgment, and conscience, though in direct opposition to the direction of the court. I like that. Direct opposition to direction of the court, because we know the courts kind of, they don't kind of, they direct, they well, they actually take control and they direct us. So this is this is an important word here. Your consciousness and opposite direction. I finally got that. Uh, what Dr. Allen talks about is what happened. I'm going to give you an example down in uh, Long Beach, California. I'm sure a couple years ago, a lady was on a jur- jury. Uh, Christy, you probably remember this case. Uh, she didn't agree with the verdict. I mean, uh, the, the, the crime and uh, the, the punishment way outweighs the crime. She didn't know what to do. She, uh, before uh, she got picked, she stood up and she expressed herself. And what she did is, and she felt bad later that she uh, didn't wait. Uh, not that you have to lie, as the Dr. Ellen said. Uh, but you don't have to tell everything. Uh, this, uh, when you're being questioned by the DA, uh, just let them know you're going to be pars- impartial uh, until you get picked. And then, uh, what you're actually doing when you nullify a jury, you can you stand up and you say, Your Honor, in all due respect, how going to save us all, 12 of us here, uh, a grueling days and weeks or whatever it takes to come to uh, a verdict here. Uh, I'm right now going to nullify this this case. There's no victim. There's no crime. Uh, it's over. Once it is, you cannot be held responsible. It's your, it's your uh, constitutional right. So, <laughs> yeah, again, uh, and also, uh, 
New Jersey weed man. Uh, good luck on your <laughs> your third try. Uh, we're following you closely. Thanks for taking them on, my man. And uh, <laughs> yeah, in Northern California, <laughs> uh, <laughs> there's a lot going on up here. I know we're going over time. I don't know how much time I have. Uh, I got Shelby again. <laughs> we do. We got Shelby coming up for a, a trial assignment conference. What that say? Oh, Shelby Lucero went to 35 preliminary hearings in Sacramento. Think about it. Talk about wasting taxpayers' money and, and disrupting lives and families. Uh, she's going on now. She's in prelim. No, I mean pretrial. Excuse me. No, we had, we had six pretrials here in Butte County, uh, and we finally resolved our case. So Shelby's coming up <laughs> again. Uh, this uh, next Friday, uh, that's uh, September on my calendar here, uh, and you can go to the Human Solution International dot org and check the calendar. Uh, you can also go there and post your uh, your story, uh, your case, uh, or whatever that has to do with human rights. Uh, she's up on uh, September ninth, next Friday at eight thirty a.m. Uh, that's 720 uh, 9th Street in Sacramento. Uh, we always uh, uh, suggest and request local court support. Uh, so come support Shelby. Uh, also, want to say a little bit uh, about the Benos. This uh, uh, pictures motion hearing that was uh, that was last. Uh, uh, August 29th, uh, reports by Benno, the motion to dismiss in the name of justice was filed by Joseph M. Tully. Uh, the moral ter- turpitude uh, to be argued, given Tully time to make necessary amendments to Pitch's motion that will show relevance on how it relates for requests for law enforcement personnel files, which VA is trying hard to keep us from obtaining. What's that say? The Benos have Shasta and the DA on the defense. They've got the officers roaring up. Think about it. So uh, Benos go back at 1 p.m. September 19th. 16, of course. Uh, that's uh, 1655 West Street, X, Department 2. Uh, Tully's going to argue uh, the moral turpitude, uh, uh, which is basically bringing the officer's character uh, to the fore. Uh this is uh, one that if you can come, you don't want to miss. We're going to be there. Uh, we usually have a fundraiser after or a barbecue. We get together. Uh, that's part of court support. It's not just support our defendants. Yeah. It also brings us together. Uh, we get new cases. We come up with the right people. We, we advocate with new defendants and work cases. So court support uh, also uh, to bear witness to the injustices that go on inside each courtroom. Uh, also, we had 
just this last Thursday, uh, Robert Howard. Uh, he wants to thank uh, him and his family. want to thank everybody for supporting him. He was on a medicinal mic radio show. Uh, I can found on this case here. Oh, what a BS case it is. They only have plants. Uh, how this case, uh, I would like to share the whole case here. I know that we're already over time. Uh, Robert Howard, uh, yes, got back to me. He had his uh, preliminary hearing this last Thursday at 10.30 a.m. That's the same department, too, up in Shasta, Shafta County, uh, 1655 West Street. Uh, I haven't heard back to him. I was, how his hearing uh, came out, and I'm waiting to hear from him so I can get it on the calendar. Uh, uh, cut to the chase. Uh, and uh, I want to thank everybody on the front lines. Uh, coming together, on vision, history and prohibition, uh, to deschedule cannabis, not reschedule. It should have never been scheduled in the first place. Uh, no schedule, and free all our POWs. Uh, come join us, help you the solution. Uh, I want to thank Kristen <laughs> and Mindy for another thank great you. show. And as always, don't forget to breathe. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. So many today's show and um, all the jury nullification talk that's been going on. Well, you know the two things besides all the jury nullification talk that stuck out in my mind was Craig and George, uh, their focus on removing hate and anger and staying positive, and then Amber and her statement that you know they're putting people, they're arresting people and putting them in jail for being human. And right. those two things have been resonating in my mind. And Like her dad is only human, right? Yeah. Yep. And that's really what this whole show is about is, you know, our human right to choose. And we shouldn't lose our whole life for that choice. Right, right. Well, uh, is there anything, uh, Mindy, that we start, forgot to talk about? I know we, we want to talk about um, hemp stock coming up. Um, we're all going to be down there. Mindy, you and Becca are going to be there. We're going to be having yeah. hopefully some letters. You know, I, I can't help but when I we mentioned hemp stock to mention the breaking news that happened here <laughs> recently. Um uh, Paul Stanford, who is the uh, founder of the THCF and a huge supporter of both Hempstock and um, Fest in Seattle, his um, company was hostily taken over and he's lost everything, including even the rights to his name. They're trying to make him not use his own name. Um, they've got a restraining order against him. He can't go into the office. Um, they're even planning on selling yes a Canadian company they're even planning on selling um, all the patient records so you know I'm a pretty poor girl if I want to sell my information I personally would rather make the money off it than this company that's overtaken um, the THCS that that was where I got my medical that's where I've got my medical card for years and I don't know how this is going to affect, if at all, hemp fest or hemp stock here in Portland. But um, you know, Paul Stanford's the one who's done this for years, and so 
when I, I just came back to Portland a couple of days ago and came back to this information, and I'm pretty discouraged by it. Well, I, I just saw that about this morning, Mindy and um, Tony's telling me, and I'm really hurt because um, Paul Stanford is a man who not only has this great company, and you even mentioned, Mindy, that he gifted you your card for a few years, and that's what kind of a kind heart I see that he has. And not only that, but, like, whenever I'm out there advocating, you know, hemp fest and hemp stocks and stuff, he's he's a real big advocate as well as far as he was a defendant. He was facing time. In fact, he's going to be on our flyer as well um, for somebody who got went to trial and got found not guilty that I'm making. He's going to be one of the free one of him and New Jersey Weed Man and Dr. David Allen are both, all, all three going to be on, on the flyer for the not guilties. But not only that, but he's also an advocate <clears throat> for our prisoners for all of our human rights so it really touched my heart you know to know he gives our prisoners a lot of voices through through his fests and it really hurts to know that this company from Canada has taken over his company and he's such a good man and our whole movement should be moved by this it's it's um it's sad it's really sad there's an article there's an article on salemnews.com that describes how this happened in great detail talks a lot about everything paul has done for the movement for the last like 40 years um he's one of the most respected cannabis um advocates that there is on the whole planet um and he's a very smart man and it wasn't an easy takeover i mean they they really tricked by selling or or absorbing another company in order you know to where they got extra shares of the companies it's really complicated but long story short he he they did it without any meetings or anything right out from underneath his nose well um yeah so he also has a tv show um, which actually me, 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 me and you, Mindy, we were on it not too long ago, and Jeff Eichen was on it as well. Um, and he's maybe going to have a TV show in the future to talk about this, I would hope. And if we can, if we find any information out, you know, we'll know it's, what's it's going possible on. That one of, it's possible that one of the last couple episodes that was talked about, um, this all came down in July, and I think it started becoming public. Um, this last month, and you know, I've been out in the boondocks for so long. I'm not really sure when it when it hits the news, but it's news to me. Okay. All right, you guys. Well, we've. Um, is there anything else, Mindy? Because if not, I think I'm going to start going into closing. No, I just want to thank everybody that called in today and our uh, magazines that let us write for them and. You, Kristen, for being here every week, and and um, and I'm, and that's all I got for this week. All right, all right. Well, anyway, I love everybody, and that's why we're here because we have a lot of people who loved us and they can't be here right now. But first, before we get into our um, details of our rest in pieces today, I want to say um, thank you to all of our volunteers and Becca for helping us, Mindy for helping us. Our listeners, um, Eugene, for giving us what he had while he was here, all the callers, all the listeners, all the volunteers, CCHI 2016, uh, for letting us be, use their platform to be a voice. And remember, we can end the war right now if we um, all go to trial and we all vote not guilty to jury nullification. 
and we can end the war if we stop giving the government information and by snitching on each other. Telling on each other only gets um, one person further and puts the other person back, and it is not fair to participate with the government any longer. So stop snitching. Also, we have to free Richard DeLisi. He's working on his 28th year in prison um, in a Florida state prison. So if anybody is listening from Florida, we need your help desperately in order to free DeLisi. Thank you. Um, also, if you want to donate to Prisoner's Commissary, um, there's a group called Freedom Forward. Stephanie Landa runs it, who is ex-POW and has a son who is a POW as we speak. Um, but you can donate, and all 100% of your profits will go straight to Prisoner's Commissary because, you know, they do only work for about 12 cents an hour. They're forced in there to um, basically die in prison because they're not going to give them no medical. Rest in peace to my dad. But um, let's, we'll get into my dad in just a second. First, I want to honor Eugene Fisher <clears throat> as a man who stood up for himself and others, um, including the prisoner's death after he served 25 years of his life sentence in prison for cannabis. The 25 years ago, Eugene Fisher smuggled a whole bunch of it into our, com into our country through shipping, um, through the shipping um, uh, ships that he used to own. And he would get it to our country when we couldn't even have it ourselves because the federal government was doing these crazy raids and we'll, we'll be killing people over raids. And we'll get into uh, Gary Shepard in a second. But uh, Eugene risked it and lost everything and went to prison for all of us, got out, um, was an NAACP leader, stood up for those prisoners, fought for them to get out, was an executive director uh, and a board member for the Human Solution International, and moved on to start this group, VAL, um, and this radio show where he was a host of, so you can listen to past shows to get hear Eugene's voice. However, he is no longer alive because the federal government gave him a kidney um, disorder in prison, and now when he got out, he, he it actually helped aid in his death. So rest in peace to Eugene Fisher, who is a good friend to our whole world, um, and to, uh, to and to me and Mindy and all of us, um, as a one-on-one as -on -one person, he was just a great man and a best friend. Okay, next I'm going to say rest in peace to my father, Richard Floor, who stood up for the patients. He owned five dispensaries. All he wanted to do is help sick people. But guess what? The federal government wouldn't allow him to. Their laws were different state laws. So my father went to prison, and while he was in prison, the nurses neglected him. They tortured him to death. And he died shackled to a bed. I had to take him off life support. Last Sunday was his fourth year that he's been away from me. And I'm telling you, none of these years get any easier. They just get um, stronger. So while I'm fighting um, weakness, I am getting stronger. And I am able to be a better voice and a bigger voice for my father as more time accumulates. Um, our uh, prisoners my father left behind will not forget because I will gather up as many voices as I can, and um, I will help justify my father's death to the fullest. Next, we're going to talk about Gary Shepard, who did not get into the country back in the, in the early 90s, 80s. He actually grew it, him and Mary Jane Jones, until the federal government came and raided him. Well, in the middle of the raid, he was shot down over 20 times, while Mary Jane Jones was also shot down while she held their baby son, Jake in their arms. Gary Shepard died. Mary Jane Jones survived another 20 years and just recently passed away. Rest in peace to those strong heroes who also find their niece, Stacy Tice, who drives a big green bus around her whole entire country in order to help end the war. 
Next, I'm going to say rest in peace to a man by the name of Jack Hare, who helped educate us about this war. Everything my father did, everything Gary Shepard represented, everything Eugene fought for, Gary Shepard or Jack, Jack Hare can sum it all up in one book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. He can tell you why those things happen, why the plant is going to um, come back and help save our world. He will tell you about the conspiracy behind the plant and what it can do as far as fuel and fiber and oil and plastic and um, clothing. I mean, the plant can do so much for us. And Jack Niles will help with a book, but he helped get our get it legalized on different different aspects. He helped um, empower people. He's just an all-around good civil rights leader. So rest in peace to Jack Hare, who I know is up there hanging out with all these other people I'm talking about, um, inspiring them as well. Also rest in peace to Bill Lamorte, who is a very, very, very close friend of Eugene Fisher's. And it's a man that we don't know because his voice was shut down by the federal government. He spent 20 years of his life sentence in prison behind bars for cannabis. And on his 20th year, he had a couple heart attacks. And Eugene said he grabbed his chest in the prison yard and died of a major heart attack. Um, that was one of our heroes whose voice was lost. Rest in peace on our show, you will never, ever, ever feel, be forgotten. And also to Peter McWilliams. Peter McWilliams wrote us a few books and left behind us. He was a civil rights leader, a leader for um, gay rights, also a leader for the Libertarian Party and the cannabis movement. And Peter fought for all of us and um, died on probation while um, he was using the plant for his medicine to keep him from nausea, from being the only nausea. Well, apparently he choked over his vomit, which I don't know how true that is, but that's what I heard. And um, anyway, he's not, he's left behind us a lot of inspirational books regarding death and humor and laughter and life and all sorts of stuff you can check into Peter McWilliams, as one of his books even helped me after my father died. Okay, and rest in peace to Larry Harvey, who fought for all of us, even took a trip all the way out to D.C. while his whole family and himself was facing uh, de facto life sentences for cannabis in Washington and going to trial. Larry tried to fight for all of us and passed away right in the middle of the war. Also, rest in peace to D. Young for giving us Adam and Curtis Cecil for being, just being who he is, Craig Cecil's son. He passed away in the movement, and um, he wasn't able to be with his father during his death. Also, rest in peace to Spencer Coptis and Cashy Hyde, two little children who were using the plant to cure their brain tumors. Well, their caregivers were raided, okay? And when the caregivers were raided, their parents weren't able to find the plant as easy as they were. And so their tumors grew out of control, and the poor children died right in the middle of the movement. Also, rest in peace to Bernardo Fuma Martinez, who was helping us by trying to make an impact across our world by presenting videos, educational videos, on things that people need to know to nullify the laws, like jury nullification, and regarding all the plant prisoners. And he was just a good friend of mine as well. Rest in peace to Fumo. Also to Elaine Samitz, who is a member of the Onac tribe, the post office, was intercepting her package, then the tribe was sending her her medicine, and she wasn't able to get her medicine because the post office still won't give it back. And so Elaine started suffering very quickly from all of her things that are wrong with her and quickly passed away. So rest in peace to Elaine. And rest in peace to Oscar. He's just one of Eugene and George's friends who was in prison um, that they say rest in peace to. So we're going to honor him and say, um, like they say, that he went to FBI in the sky. And to all of our life prisoners, 
we want everybody to help us in prohibition so they don't have to die in prison at all. And then we'll send all of our cannabis prisoners home. So please help us in prohibition so that the war can finally be over and we can have a radio show um, to celebrate. Thank you and have a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. I'm going to play this song called from Kushite Sikhsta. It's and you might play a couple songs, but today I'm just going to play one because I have company. Thanks, Tony, for being here to do the show. <laughs> and Mindy, is there anything you want to say before we uh, press the play button on the song? Oh, Mindy's off. Her microphone has been muted. So just check out the song and have a beautiful Sunday. Get it, or should I take the strap 
They say it's oil, but it's deeper than that. It's just more smoke to the mirror, so I radiate more hope clearer. Shed tears for my peers, the judgment day gets nearer. So I exercise mightier than the sword. Use the pen to paint the lines with conscious mind the world can explore. So maybe you can find out why it bring us to war. Some of the most powerful things that Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a nice day.